This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Today I'm going to cover a topic that will probably not get too many comments or even watches from cult followers that are in the haters crowd. The subject of television. Why? Because they know they are guilty. You see, most cult followers and even the old timers who know that it is quote unquote wrong to watch television, movies, videos, TV shows, more, they have managed to work out schemes into their school of thought to convince themselves that it is okay to watch all of these things when their prophet told them not to. You see, the prophet laid down the law, and the members of the Branham denomination followed that law, and long after he's dead and gone, they decided to make excuses by following the letter of the law instead of the underlying meaning. Branham decided to implement a control tactic of keeping the followers from seeing the outside world as many other cults do, yet followers find ways to permit themselves to watch the outside world. Branham did this under the disguise of television as evil in Hollywood specifically. But you see, instead of watching what they call television, many ministers and deacons and song leaders and followers and prophet's sons and more have monitors. Television that receives no channels over the air. Except, of course, for those who now do. They watch the same programming that used to be broadcast over the air through YouTube and through Netflix and recorded VHS tapes and DVDs and other methods. But you see, by the letter of the law, they do not have what they call by the letter television. They do not have these in, in their homes, except, of course, for those that I have even seen who hide them in their closets or their spare rooms, what I call their theater rooms. You see, growing up, my family had television. And then we did not, and then we did, and then we did not. Why? The things that my family enjoyed were condemned by the prophet. And there were times 
that my family practiced asceticism more devoutly than other times. In the times that they gave in and watched the television, they knew that there was absolutely nothing wrong with watching the Andy Griffith show. But at other times, oh, Aunt B must have had a dress that was just a wee bit too high above the ankles. William Branham condemned the television all throughout his ministry. He was against people watching what he considered and called filth of this world through the screens, and he taught very harshly against them. He said, are you willing to sacrifice your television programs? And you know, it used to be as wrong for us to go to the movies, but now the devil has put one over on you, brought it right into your house with you. Ooh. That's right, see? 1963. Another time he said this, and he used this magic percentage that he liked to use, 80% of the children in Arizona schools are suffering from mental deficiency. <laughs> Poor Arizona, man, those kids are stupid. 67% of them was because of looking at television. How about that? <laughs> he says, you better use your shotgun. See, don't let the devil spray you with that. Boo! No, sir, people, as I understand, people act like they don't have to come to the judgment. This is very serious here. I'm laughing because it's funny that 80% of the Arizona kids are mentally deficient, but what Branham is saying is a serious thing. He says that this television, he compares with something that would cause you to have to face the judgment. And this in itself is a conundrum, because while Branham strictly taught against the television, most followers and leaders of the message of William Branham own a television. Are they not scared that they'll face the judgment? Those that don't, they watch the television over the internet, or they attend picture shows, as William Branham called it. Others go to somebody else's house so that they can watch the devil box in their house. Very few, if any, have gone through their entire lives without watching a movie or a television show. Yet this is the devil. Though William Branham claimed otherwise, he seems himself to know a great deal about television programs. Take the example of Marshal Matt Dillon of Gunsmoke. William Branham says, don't try to be a Matt Dillon or somebody. Don't try to be Peabody Ernie or whatever his name is, some of these men. He pretends like he doesn't know it. But the funny part is then there's blank spot on tape dash ed. Who knows what he pushed that little button to pause the recording to say? 1960, as the eagle stirreth her nest, the sermon that he copied from C.W. Franklin, C.H. Franklin. But again, later in 63, he says this about Mount Dillon. He says, Hollywood is full of gunfighters. Anybody that knows history knows them back there in those days. There's gunfighters, the different fellows, they weren't decent citizens. They were renegades. They were like Al Capone and Dillinger. They got a Hollywood play they call on the television, they call Gunsmoke. And I heard on the monitor the other day, this fellow plays at Arness or something, forget what his name is, and he's supposed to take, he represents Matt Dillon. All right, now William Branham is talking about Matt Dillon. He says, Matt Dillon, who was a sheriff in Kansas. 
He says, and Matt Dillon was yellow as a rabbit. He shot 28 men in the back, innocent, going outside of Dodge City, waiting in the bush. And when a man come along, somebody would call him and tell him that there was a certain villain coming through. And he'd stay out there, and the man would come in, he'd shoot him in the back. <laughs> Matt Dillon. Now, when you find this big guy comes down, why, it's absolutely glorifying sin. But the little children of our country can tell you more about Matt Dillon than they can tell you about Jesus Christ. That was in 63, the voice of God in these last days. Now, some followers just brush this away as Branham's love in studying the American West, but nothing could be further from the truth. It's actually quite funny. Because Marshall Matt Dillon was a fictional character. There was no history of Matt Dillon. He was a fictional character from the show Gunsmoke. Matt Dillon never existed. In the fictional television program, he served as the United States Marshal of Dodge City, Kansas in the 1870s. But the character was created by a writer named John Meston, who envisioned him as a man whose hair is probably red if he's got any left. I'm quoting. He would be handsomer than if he had better manners in life, and some of his enemies have left back looking at him a little beat up. And I suppose his mother back in 1840 trying to get him to take a bath in a wooden wash tub. He goes on and he describes this fictional character that he is creating. The guy never existed. Marshal Matt Dillon was very popular. Gunsmoke had a 20-year run on CBS television. Many viewers turned in weekly to watch their favorite fictional Marshal Dillon from the Old West gunfight. Why did William Branham claim to know the history of Matt Dillon when there was no history? Why did he speak with authority of this man's life, saying that he was a yellow coward that shot people in the back when the guy never existed? It's actually quite funny. Most followers use the excuse that, well, they only watch the clean TV shows. All the filth and the garbage of Hollywood, they cast it aside just the clean ones. But what they do not realize is that William Branham himself enjoyed the not-so-pure shows himself. The greatest irony in William Branham's condemnation of television and movies is that he himself went to watch Marilyn Monroe multiple times. One of these was The River of No Return. He says this in 1963, the kids have been telling me, Daddy, you go down and watch that river of no return all the time. He said, they got a play like that on today. Told me a certain night it would be on a week or two. I thought, well, I want to see that. Because I'd been down to that river two or three times, I think. And I went to see it. Miss Marilyn Monroe acted that out. In this particular Marilyn Monroe movie, there was very little to watch that was not interesting besides the flesh of the movie star herself. As she laid across the piano in her sexy poses, there was very little left to the imagination. The skirt was so short that you could see the bottom of her panties. And the top was so low that it was only just an inch or two above her nipples. Was this avoiding the impure and watching the good stuff? Or was this watching what Branham considered the good stuff? 
New York Times said this about the movie. It was a sickening succession of rapids churned into boiling foam, presents a display of nature's violence that cannot help but ping the patron's nerves. The raft tumbling through these rapids is quite a sight to see, and the layouts of the Rocky Mountain landscapes are handsome in color too, but Mr. Mitchum's and the audience's attention is directed directly to Marilyn Monroe through frequent and liberal posing in her full and significant views. In other words, they're in the middle of the most magnificent area in the wilderness. The movie actually stank, and her beauty was greater than that of the mountains and the river. So we have a strange conundrum. The followers that do not ascribe to this teaching by bending the rules to follow the letter of the law, one letter of William Branham's law, and he laid down the law without even keeping it. It's a paradox. This is exactly what happened in the days of Jesus, when he so harshly condemned the Pharisees. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for their hypocrisy and their double standards. Rather than uphold the righteousness that the law presented, they invented some new laws and they bent the rules for the laws that God gave Moses. It was for that very reason that God fulfilled the Old Covenant and established a New Covenant, the law written into our hearts. Doing away with that Old Covenant and the Old Law, yes, the same law that the, the followers of this cult try to keep, but they're only keeping just a certain portion of it. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says this, Now if the ministry of death... Let me repeat that. If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit contain more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, then the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has came to no glory at all because of the glory that surpassed it. For if what was being brought to an end came with much glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? So why did William Branham try to reinforce these portions of the Mosaic Law and add more laws to them, like watching television? Paul goes on, he says, Since we have such a hope and are not very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not gaze of the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, Moses has read, a veil lies over in their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. Now when the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as Christians, we should ask ourselves, are we following the letter of William Branham's law? Or are we following the spirit of Christ's law that is written in our hearts that Paul followed? The two are not the same. 